You are now listening to the Life on Repeat podcast with Laura Valancourt, licensed mental health counselor, geriatric mental health specialist, and elder care coach. I'm so happy that you found us. So hello, everyone. I am really thrilled to have this guest with us today. I have Christy Yates. And she is an author, an amazing woman. She was, she actually was highlighted in our Get in the Lifeboat Summit that we had last year. Has it been almost two years now? (laughs) I think it's been two years. Time is flying. Well, Christy Yates is the mother of two, now adult children. She's an expert in navigating the challenges and opportunities in life, including in the sandwich generation. And this is what her amazing book that is just being released. And it is called The Legacy of Love, Thriving in the Sandwich Generation. So let's see. She has worked in special needs education and parenting. She incorporates meditation, mindfulness practices, and emotional freedom techniques, or EFT, which is a really neat modality into her work, along with other evidence-based practices to support growth, goal achievement, and a pathway to living your best life now. So in California, she's a licensed educational psychologist, a credentialed school psychologist, and a certified high-performance coach, speaker, and author. And I, we are so fortunate to have you on, Christy. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Thanks. I'm really excited to be here. It's great. It's nice to be with you again, Laura. So this is terrific. Wonderful. Well, I know that our listeners are just going to benefit so much from this conversation. I wonder if we can just kind of start from the top and maybe you can tell people about what what is the sandwich generation? Sure, absolutely. So the sandwich generation is basically those folks who are raising children and now also managing the care or directly caring for aging parents, right? So we're kind of sandwiched in between two generations. And that term was coined, you know, way back in the in the 50s, I think. But it's becoming more and more popular because we're really seeing a rise in how many people are in this space, right? Because it's not just people who are raising little kids. We're finding in the United States, at least right now, there's so many families that have to have multi-generational families to survive, right? Two parents working plus maybe having someone else, maybe older children come back from college or military or work and have to live at home. We're all sharing space again in many situations, not all, but many. And so we're, we're seeing that lots of people are sandwiched in and, but that core person who's sort of the parent of some and the daughter or son of others, lots falls on their shoulders. Right. And then, you know, also in my work as a a school psychologist, I know a lot of families who are going to have to care for their children who have significant needs, or even I know folks who have brothers and sisters who have significant needs and they'll have to care for them. So those caretakers, and I, and I distinguish it from other caretakers only in that there's this other shift, right? That you're also then doing the raising of children. And that's where it gets a little, a little bit unique at times and different. It's, you know, we all have our ups and downs and all of that caregiving journey, but the sandwich generation is definitely showing us some other things right now. I'm thinking what a unique, really, when you stop to think about it, 
a lot of times we identify with our roles, right? And so if a predominant role in our life is to be a parent or a predominant role in our life is to be caring for aging parents and this, yeah, I could see that this is just a really unique Maybe not so unique when you look back historically. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and that's it exactly, right? I mean, for yeah. I mean, for centuries, right? People lived in multi-generational kinds of things. The other thing is I so how I came to this is in 2015, I lost both of my parents. They both had different levels of dementia. My dad had vascular dementia and and a multitude of other health problems. And he was in his 80s. And then my mom also in her 80s, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and she had early stage Alzheimer's. And we didn't know it at the time, but she also had a recurrence of cancer, which is what eventually took her life. But the thing was, I had it really good, right? I mean, my parents had the money to take care of themselves. And my husband and I have a happy family, and we were really close to my parents. But it was still really hard those last six years of their lives, how much more I had to take on and how much more I had to learn. And so after they passed away, people started kind of coming out of the woodwork and asking me, Christy, what did you do? Christy? And I thought about it. I'm like, I don't know what I did, but I just, I muddled through. And so then I thought, you know, I want to, I want to write the book I wish I'd had. Right. And so <laughs> one of the things that really occurred to me was those times that, that were the hardest for me. And this is where it's the sandwich generation thing is that you're like in a twilight zone sometimes, right? Like I was trying to talk my father out of driving and taking the keys away while I'm then passing keys on to my newly minted teenage son driver. I mean, weird, right? Like you're trying to stop someone and give someone. So someone's someone's needing more of your help and then you're giving more independence to your kids. And it's a different, you have to show up differently for both people, right? So- And that's what I found. Oh my gosh, there's so uh, there's so many things that come up, right? Thinking about yeah, the independence and autonomy between those generations. Also, the thing that I'm thinking of is the changing role. I mean, right. here here you are as a daughter, and you've mm-hmm. always had this parent that you right up to, or you know, and now now that role is shifting. Also, with your children as they age, the role of, you know, allowing more autonomy and, and independence. And so, exactly. Yeah. Can you speak a little to that well, um, and changing role piece? Absolutely. And I think that that's part of the piece that I tried to address in the book as much as possible. And there's so much more that can be said. Like, I, I think I need to write, you know, edition two and three already. Right. But it's just, it is that thing about being present to where you are. Right. And so, I really, really double down on self-care, and we talk about that a lot right now in our world, but it is about being present to what's happening. And once you kind of are there, then I think you can start to make changes in your mindset for how you're going to approach everything, right? And one of the things that I know as an educator, as a special educator, as a school psychologist is children are always learning. We're not always intentional about what we're teaching them, but they are always, humans, we're always learning, right? So I needed to be the parent who taught my children how to be loving and compassionate. And that meant I kind of had to change sometimes how I did speak to my parents as I got frustrated at times, right? And I had to start realizing, you know, my parents are becoming more needful 
not because there's anything wrong with them, because it's a natural, normal progression of life, right? And not that dementia is normal and everyone will get it, but you know, as a dementia professional, it, it shifts how someone walks in the world, right? And so then how do the people who care for them take that on, right? And I, I learned so much from watching my kids. And so I call the book Legacy of Love because I think my purpose is we have to just really get clear on where we are in the midst of all of this and then decide what we're going to take on. And so I found that my stress levels went up when I didn't know what to do. And I also, my stress levels went up when I realized I didn't do enough self-care, right? I didn't build my teams and get people to, it was hard for me to ask for help. And so one of the things I had to really learn how to do was to ask for help. And so probably I, I would guess a lot of listeners can relate to, I do it all. I take care of everything, right? I don't ask for help and asking for help is hard, yeah, but you not. really can't do this on your own. Yeah. I mean, is, yeah. So you, you said so many good things. I, I want to <laughs> just kind of backtrack a little bit because sure. one of the things that, that, that you said is how important it is to be present with what's yes. happening. And I think that when people are in high stress situations, it's really easy to just check out and just go on autopilot right. and be present at all. Yeah. So well, and to that point, the other thing that comes up in being a care, if you're a daughter or son, adult child taking care of a, your parents, it brings up family stuff, right? Not everybody comes from a happy family. Not everybody comes from a family where siblings are all talking together. Not all of us live in the same place. That was sort of one thing I forgot to mention as I started talking is, you know, here in the U.S., we move, I found this out, I looked this up and researched it, we move an average of 11 times from where we were born. And that's because of jobs, marriage, military, college, school, all kinds of reasons. So we're not all in the same place anymore. That little thing where we were in a village and we all lived together and people helped, that's not there as much anymore. And so we can get together by Zoom, but you can't do all the caregiving by Zoom. So sometimes it falls to one person. Sometimes I met many people that actually moved their parents to be closer to them, or they moved closer to their parents or one or the other, right? And there's costs to both, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's good sometimes to move your parents in with you, but then they lose their contacts with people they've been around. So that community is important. It's really, there's, there's cost to all of it, but being present to why are you taking this on, right? I mm -hmm. sort of got elected because I was closest, right? My parents lived right up the street from me. My sister lived, I'm in California. My sister lives in Montana. My brother lives in Michigan. I mean, there was no election. There was no vote. No one, you know, I didn't, I didn't apply for the job. <laughs> it's like it fell to me and I was willing to take it on. Yeah. But I find so many people that feel the burden and obligation. And I think that that's where you can kind of do some of the, well, that's where I would work on mindset and meditation and kind of looking at what are you willing to do? Because when you can set boundaries about what you're willing to do, then you can let resentment, it starts to slide off the plate. Mm -hmm. When you can own, this is what I'm willing to do. And this is only what I'm willing to do. Right. Then you don't have to show up in resentment. And that's not good for your parents. And it's not good for your kids. And that's the whole point, right? So how yeah. do you build a legacy of love? You have to be intentional about what you're doing on both ends. And that's the part about being yeah. aware about being, being intentional. I love right. that. And 
to your other point too, is your kids learn from you, you're yeah. modeling this. And so they're watching a high stress many times in situation. They're witnessing the great unknown as, as right. you're figuring it out. They're, they're watching you problem solve and what a valuable lesson there. And I love how you also said that you learn from them too. Oh, all the time. My daughter was really close to my mom. I mean, both my kids were very close to both my parents, but, and that's the thing is right. In many, in kind of the best of circumstances, our parents, like you said, we still look up to them. And I definitely would say, Hey dad, how do I do this? Or, Hey mom, how, what are you, how do I do this? You know, what was that family recipe we loved at Thanksgiving? I can't remember, you know, something like that. Right. But then you have to show up and start taking care of them. And so my kids were really good about, they just got it about, about dementia. They got it about Alzheimer's that answering the same question grandma asked seven times was okay. They answered it like it was the first time. Whereas I sometimes would throw in, well, we just like I said before, mom, and my, my kids would say, will you just stop mom? And I'm like, oh my gosh. They're right. Yeah. They're not trying to make me crazy. I'm just getting annoyed. And, and I'll tell you this, Laura, for me, it was grief, right? Mm-hmm. I really became aware of how much that was a grief trigger for me, that I was seeing my parents in a way that was painful for me. And so, mm-hmm. you know, all the feels, right? You know, you get angry, you get, you feel resentful, you feel sad, you feel all these things. And I, my kids were a good mirror for me. They were a gentle mirror for me. And that was really, I really appreciated that. That is so, I I love that you say that. And I could imagine that that would be the case at most any age children, whether they're little or littles or bigs. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and little kids, they're like truth tellers. They'll be like, why are you being, you know, why are you being mean to grandma? (laughs) You know, and maybe teenagers might pull you to the side and say, you got to knock that off, right? Yeah, but yeah, whatever no. it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I love yeah. that. oh, I just love this conversation, Christy, really. And I'm wondering about, we've kind of touched on a lot of this, like what are some unique aspects that differ from other caregivers? Because there's so many caregivers there. I mean, there's a lot of family caregivers out there, but there's a different thing that's going on when you're also caring for children. And right. Yeah. So I talked about one, and that is just kind of being witness to two sides of developmental process, right? Aging is a normal, natural thing, but we don't talk about it a lot. And we don't want to talk about it a lot. But there's a million books on, you know, I mean, how many parenting books are there out there, right? There's a gazillion, right? And everybody's selling you a training program. There aren't as many training programs for and now how do you handle the end of life of your parents? But we all kind of know the end of the story, right? So we have to kind of get present to that. But the other piece that's really unique, I think, is that time. It's called the sandwich generation, and it's you can imagine this squeeze, right? But for me, it wasn't so much of a squeeze as it was a pulling, right? Because I felt pulled apart. There were so many times when the crisis for my parent, like emergency room calls, emergency room visits are not scheduled on the calendar, right? So they sort of don't pay attention to the parent-teacher conference I had to go to, (laughs) they just show up. And so it's like, those kinds of things really pulled me. And that's what wore me out the most. Or when I had when I felt like I had to make a decision of who gets me right now, my parent or my child, and there were some real 
there were some really tough calls on that where I had to really think about what do I do? You know, I, I want one very poignant story that I tell in the book is sort of an opening story. And that is where my son was going off to college and he was going from California out to Ohio for college. And my husband and I were scheduled to fly him out and take him to college, our first child, you know, and literally two days before that flight, two or three days before that flight, my mom was in the hospital and it was, we became aware then of what her illness was, that it wasn't, she didn't have pneumonia. She really, she had this other condition that was caused by a recurrence of cancer. And so while I knew her death was probably not imminent, she was in the hospital and she was disoriented and she was miserable. And, and I'm going to go leave. I don't know. It just, but then, and then I did what I had a hard time doing. I started asking for help. I called everybody I knew. I'm like, who, my sister, my brother, my aunt and uncle, people who could come and be here with my mom, because that's where the legacy of love also came from for me is that I thought about what would, if my mom was here with me from five years previously, right? She'd say, what are you kidding? Go with your son. That's what the mom does. Mm -hmm. Go. I'll be here. You go. And I went and it was, I know that that was the right thing to do, but at the time it was a heartbreaker. Sure. You couldn't win. It was, you were going to feel the the guilt or, right. you know, the, the right. emotions that come up either way. Yeah. And somebody else might make a different decision and that will be the right decision, right? I'm not here to say you need to do, my book doesn't tell you this is the right decision. I really don't feel that way. I feel like it's really getting, that's where it gets to be intention and presence, right? Yes. We all, there are multiple right answers to every question. And so there isn't a right way to do this. It's what's right for you, for your family, for your priorities. I love that you say that because that's, I, I mean, so many of us want the magic pill or the, yeah. the checklist and just yeah. if I follow this and I can do it right, then that, then I'm a good daughter or I'm a right. good you know, family member. And, and you just point out the such, uh, the yeah. reality is that life isn't black and white. If there's not, it isn't right or wrong all the time. And sometimes the decisions and choices we have to make aren't, it doesn't always feel good. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I wish it was math. I wish it was two plus two equals four and everything else is like, but it's not, it's one yeah. of those ones yeah. where it's and that's like, where the grace and the yeah. gentle, we have to be gentle with ourselves. Yes. So yeah. important. I know in your book, you bring up, I, I haven't read the book yet. I'm very <laughs> excited to get it. It's going to be launching pretty soon. I, you mentioned maybe April 27th, April 27th, uh, which yeah. is a neat, right uh, it's available. Yeah. Yeah. Right in time for Mother's Day, <laughs> which really, I think is a great timing. Can you talk a little bit about the need to have those difficult conversations, like about end of life? Yeah. Um, who needs to be part of that conversation? How do you yeah. talk right. about that? Yeah, that's kind of a big. That's a really good one. And I interviewed an estate attorney and a money management professional and some other folks. And that was a lesson I learned from my parents. They had made a lot of decisions long before they needed to, right? Mm -hmm. And I, again, I kind of go back to that's the legacy of love they gave me is that they made some of the hard decisions before I ever had to make them, right? They did take care of their finances. They made very clear where they, that they didn't ever want to live with 
my brother, my sister, or me, they didn't want to live in our home. They said, we are comfortable with going to another sort of facility. That's fine. You know, we'd like to stay in our home as long as we can, but we don't, that's our wish. So mm-hmm. I didn't have to really debate that, you know, and it was, it was a done deal. So they made a lot of decisions ahead of time. So I didn't have to think about it. And I know I've had conversations with other people and a person has said, you know, I don't really care, you know, do whatever you want. And that's feels like it's a very freeing thing, but it's very hard for the person left behind when you're in the midst of grief and there's so many other things to do that having to have those heavy decisions about cremation versus burial, or those are questions that when we can solve those ahead of time and we ask people what they want, then it's actually a real gift, right? So uh, of course, estate planners are going to tell you all, all these conversations have them earlier rather than later. And I think that's really wise. I was very taken with a book by Atul Gawende, who's a really wonderful physician who has written some marvelous books. And one of them that I loved was called Being Mortal. And he talks about end-of-life discussions. And one of the things he talks about is emphasizing not so much like all of those kind of nitty-gritty things, but also what do you want at the end of your life? Mm-hmm. And it's really not about dying. It's about living, right? It's a conversation about living. How do you want to live the last years, days, hours of your life, right? Yeah. And so while those seem like really difficult conversations, they can be very loving conversations because we're, we're talking about what, here's what I want you to do for me. And then we have the opportunity then to honor their wishes, right? And I talk about this in the book that, you know, these are not conversations you have at Thanksgiving dinner, right? This is not the conversation you have at the Super Bowl, right? This is like, you take your time. And it's probably a conversation you're going to have more than once. And so when you can start doing that for your parents, but also it triggered my husband and I to start making some plans. Sure. Yeah. Because I was so grateful that my parents had made certain plans that now I thought, you know what? I know we're pretty young, but no one knows, right? So let's kind of lay some things out. So that was important. And I think I learned a lot in that process. But yeah, I think it is important to do it really often. And again, this is a place where you're really going to want to be present to what what's your purpose, mm-hmm. who needs to be there, have to be really honest with yourself about relationships with siblings and other family members. If there's a toxic level of problem. Mm -hmm. Sort that out before you have that conversation. But it is important to have some time to talk about end of life, because you're really talking about life, you know, and how you want to live it at the end. Do you want to be on a respirator? Do you want a feeding tube? Do you want what do you want? What don't you want? Yeah, getting clear. I love that you mentioned that you can always change. You you never know until the moment comes really what needs to happen. And this is like warm up. This is like practice. This is like, let's, let's get used to having conversations yeah. about this. Not that they need to happen all the time, but I also think about how I love that you brought up the sibling um, and other family member dynamic, because part of being in the sandwich generation yeah, yeah. <laughs> is not only your parent and your child, but you are often navigating or having to be the communicator yeah. between the whole host of other family members. Right. And so, yeah. yeah. And so I, 
I think of it as I know that some of those things, we, those conflicts we have in our families, sometimes those are really built in childhood, right? Like if we had difficult times with a sibling or, you know, maybe there was a good sibling and a bad sibling, you know, we have all these names for each other and, and that sort of thing. And so we have to really sort through that. And when we think about, you know, parents, like who's showing up to do what, right? And if you have a family member who you know is not reliable, then you're not being a terrible sibling by not involving that person in, you know, you're certainly not going to say, Hey, listen, think you need to be the uh, power of attorney over the bank account. You know, we might not want to do that. Right. Right. But you know, how you navigate that is important and it's not easy. Wow. That was something that a lot of financial people pointed out to me was just that everybody's happy until money starts to be the issue. So the more you can kind of, clear that up ahead of time, I think is, is important. And you might not be able to. Well, but also what I hear you saying is you're, you're, you're kind of normalizing this, that this is, it is very common and, and you can have all of your ducks in a row and all the I's dotted and T's crossed and still some old unfinished business could raise its head between you and your sister or. Right. uh, and mm-hmm. so when you start to feel that stuff bubbling up for you, I think of it as, see, I'm old school, right? I think of about a, 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 like a mixtape, right? You know, kids <laughs> these days would be like, it's my playlist, right? Well, you've got this mixtape from childhood that's like, you're the bad sister, you're the good sister, you the you hate me, mom, your mom's favorite, da, 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 da. But you know what? You can make a new tape. And that's what I say is make a new tape because you can change your playlist. It is not written in stone. Mm-hmm. Ch- change it. Yeah. Don't play it anymore. And that sounds certainly easy, but it's, I, I think it, when you take some time to do, this is, this is where I love something like emotional freedom technique, right? You let go of those blocks and those emotions that keep us stuck in old stuff. We can learn to let them go because they're just thoughts and ideas. Yeah. Can you, uh, just for our listeners, yeah. will you just briefly tell them what emotional freedom technique is? Sure. So emotional freedom technique is based in acupuncture. So it's sort of meridian-based, ancient Chinese medicine that's been around for thousands of years. And instead of using needles, we're using our fingers, right? So to do sort of a percussive technique on different meridian points where energy flows, right? And so what happens is our we are energetic beings, and, and when things get stuck, we can let them go through meditation. We can you know, therapy is always good. EFT just seems to be very fast and effective. And there've been a lot of studies done recently that even show changes in the brain, right? So that you are reducing cortisol. Cortisol is the hormone that stress releases in your body for good reasons, most of the time, fight or flight, but it gets stuck because we're always in fight or flight. Our old brains, you know, they don't remember that it's not really a saber-toothed tiger. It's just your sister and you're remembering old things. So let's let go of that, you know. So EFT is just a a very simple technique that you can tap on different meridian points. And while you're also breathing and identifying the pain, because you have to identify it before you can let it go. And then you let it go. And it's amazing how it does sort of open up new thought patterns for your, your thinking. And I I find it very helpful. 
Yeah. And it's a very, it's a, it's a technique and a tool that anybody can do. You don't yes. have the equipment. You don't have to hire a right. person. You, well, I know a great guy um, named Brad Yates. <laughs> <laughs> I know him too. Yeah, (laughs) and I would love, I mean, we'll have to have a conversation. I'd love to have him on to talk about this because it is very effective. A lot of therapists, licensed therapists use this technique because they see it works. Right. Yeah. We'll have a, we'll have a special episode on that for (laughs) sure. One of the, the other questions that I have is you mentioned in the beginning, the importance of building a team, you know, having support services for yourself and, can, yeah, can you talk a little more about what that looked like for you and what yeah. you might recommend for others? Yeah, and I have to say, Laura, this is something I still work on, right? When we talk, <laughs> we're, like I said, self-care has become sort of its own little cottage industry lately, and it's great because we need more of it. It's not about being selfish. It's not just about bubble baths and massages, although those are awesome. It's okay. You know, I, I appreciate that every now and then, right? But it's, it's more about realizing that you're worth it. So when you can sort of stand in the place and say, I am worth my own time, I am worth taking care of, and then what do I need to do to take care of me? And, and the reason why it's so important, I think just as a parent, honestly, as a human being, but as a parent, and then as a parent caregiver, you can't pour from an empty vessel, right? I mean, we don't drive our car without filling it up with gas and changing the oil, but we don't fill up our own gas tank and we don't fill up our, change our own oil often enough. And so I really feel like building a team is part of that, right? Finding people, you don't have to become an expert on everything, right? I didn't have time to go back and become a gerontologist to find out how to care for my parents. I didn't have time to become a doctor to find out how to care for things. I didn't but I, there are people I could call on and that's what I needed to do. So when you give yourself permission to do that, but also then as a parent, it's not just that caregiving piece, but it, it might be something as simple as creating systems in your life where you have carpools set up so that when you couldn't show up, somebody's there to help you out, right? There's somebody on call who can manage this situation when the emergency room calls you. And when you have that, you have a group of people you can call on. It might be a neighbor. It might be a family member. This is going to be such a lifesaver. And it shows up at lots of different times in your life, right? It could be somebody who, who might be able to pick something up and take it over to your parents when you can't, if they needed something. So there's a lot, lots of different ways. So it's just sometimes a time saver. Sometimes it's getting information from people. Sometimes it's getting expert advice from people who, who are able to give it to you. And then sometimes it's just taking time to say, I need a break. And there were times when I needed to say, I'm leaving, I'm going, I'm going to go over here and have an afternoon to myself because it was important for me to just let it all go. And doing that often enough. And honestly, when you walk out the door, that's when everybody's going to want you and you (laughs) still have to walk out the door unless there's blood involved, right? This was always my thing. If you're bleeding, I'll stop you. But (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, and I can also see, even if you never need to use the resource or the backup or the the team member, just knowing it's there, I imagine can give a lot of relief too. Yeah. 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 I also found a lot of support in online groups. There's a number of online groups where you can talk to other people and 
when, when it's a group that's well mo moderated and, and there's not anything inappropriate going on, then there's not a lot of advice giving. There's a lot of empathy given. And that's something you need to no judgment, right? Because we can get judged. That's the other thing that's happening, I think, in our world right now is there's a lot of judging what your what your choice is. And I don't feel that that's helpful. I feel that I can't know what's best for someone else. But I can certainly talk to people about how you might prepare yourself to make a great uh, make a great decision. You know, here's how you might weigh things out. And then make your decision, do something, take care of yourself. And like I said, People might have handled things differently than me, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. you know, one of the things I did that was really helpful, very self-care oriented, is because my brother and sister were so far away, you know, we kept in touch often, but I said to both of them, listen, I need to know that you support me in this, and the way I'm going to know that you support me is that if I have a question, I'm going to ask you. Mm -hmm. If I tell you I made a decision supporting me would not look like telling me how I did it wrong. Let me ask you, and then, I, then I'll take everything you give me. But if I tell you what I've done, please don't second guess me. That's not going to help me. And they were, they were fine about that. But it took a lot of courage on my part to say that because that's not a conversation I ever thought I'd ever have. Right. And, right. and it's not a conversation that most families yeah. have with each other. I love that was really beautiful. <laughs> and I'm sure for any listeners out there that just needed that little piece of encouragement or, you know, advice on maybe having that conversation, maybe stating clearly about what is helpful for you. Exactly. Is because people aren't mind readers, right? I even <laughs> had to, I mean, there are times I have to say to my husband, this is what I need from you right now. Right. Yeah. This I don't need, but this I need. <laughs> Here's how you can say that. And it's not, it, you know, I have a sense of humor, so I tend to do it with as much humor as possible, but it's being clear. And the only way I can say that is, again, going back to being present to what do I really need? What do I really need? And yep. I can't do that if I'm scattered and I'm you know, crazed. So that's when you kind of slow down and figure that that's out. The, that's the theme that really, you, <laughs> we sandwiched it, right? The, the first thing you said and the last thing is be aware of yourself and, and be present with yourself. Yeah. Well, Christy, this conversation, it was so valuable. And I'd love to, I'd love it if you could share with our listeners, how can they find out more about you? How sure. can they find your book? Absolutely. My book right now, you can pre-order the ebook and that's selling on Amazon and it's called Building a Legacy of Love, Thriving in the Sandwich Generation. You can also go to my website, which is simply christyyates.com. So it's pretty simple. And it's Christy, C-H-R-I-S-T-Y and then Y-A-T-E-S. So christyyates.com. And you can, there's a link in there to get to the Amazon link. And then there's some other resources on there too. So that's the best way to find me. The book will be available in paperback on April 27th, just in time for Mother's Day and then around the corner Father's Day. Love it. Thank you so much. I so appreciate getting to know you and so happy to support your work. It is needed in this world. Well, thank you so much. And this has been a pleasure for me. It's always fun to talk with you and I appreciate it so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute, nor is it meant to convey professional, legal, psychological, financial, or medical advice. If you can use such services, please seek them out from someone you trust.